Welcome to the 501 Companion Podcast, an educational and news podcast slash podcast for 501c3 charitable organizations that want to create better content, optimize their technology, and improve their marketing to better serve their mission. This is episode number 16, and I have some exciting 16s for you. For example, Christine 16 is a popular song by the rock band Kiss, and it's somewhat inappropriate when you realize what Gene Simmons is is actually singing about. And there was no sweet 16 for me, except for 16 Candles, which is indisputably the best of the John Hughes classic films. And that is 16 enough for me. Let's do it. Nick, cue the music. All right. I'm joined by my talented co-hosts who bring a wide range of experience to our weekly podcast. First, meet Matt Balo, our chief digital officer. Matt, tell them who you are and what you do. Hi, everybody. Matt Balo. I am your digital marketing leader. I've been uh, a marketing executive and MBA for the last 20 years. And hands-on with data and software engineer, and now I specialize in data-driven insights and strategies, partnerships, and innovations. So my goal is to leverage my deep knowledge of that technology and business and bring that to these uh, charitable organizations. That's fantastic. Hey, Nick, you're our chief information officer. Tell them who you are and what you do. I am Nick, your company's computer guy. Uh, what do I do? I've been doing technology for probably longer than Matt's been doing marketing. Uh, <laughs> sad to say, but I love it. I still love it. So he started off with two rocks. Yes. Yeah. And that was when it was rocks were technology at one time. And my name is Buddy Scalera and I am your chief content officer. And I have many, many years of marketing and content creation behind me. And I bring that to the 501 Companion podcast. We're here to provide your organization with the information and inspiration to take your charitable mission to the next level. So let's start the show, guys. I am very, very excited. We have a very special guest. His name is Tom Hall. He's from the Montclair Film, and they run the annual Montclair Film Festival. Let me just give you their mission statement because we do believe in mission statements, and then we'll introduce Tom properly. Uh, the Montclair Film connects global filmmakers with audiences in a diverse, culturally vibrant community presenting films and year-round programs that engage, entertain, and educate through the power of visual storytelling. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you for having me. Hi, guys. Appreciate Hello. it. So, Tom, um, I was calling your organization the Montclair Film Festival, but it's actually called the Montclair Film. Is that what I'm to understand? Yeah, we're, Mont we're Montclair Film now, yes. So three years ago, we went through a rebranding process, having originated as a, uh, a film festival originally, but having developed into a year-round, 365-day-a-year organization, um, we decided that festivals sort of implied a time-bound 10-day festival, whereas we were doing work, you know, the other 355 days as well. So we we rebranded as Montclair Film, and uh, yeah, so that's where we are now. But don't worry, because as I said earlier, everyone still refers to us as the Montclair Film Festival. It's totally fine. They're not, they're not necessarily interchangeable, but it works. We totally get it. So not a problem. And, you know, for those of us who are not familiar with the New Jersey area, that is Montclair, New Jersey, right, Tom? Yes, about 12 miles 
directly west of the Lincoln Tunnel uh, outside of Manhattan. So it's a bedroom community for a lot of people who work in the city. Um, a lot of media professionals live there. Like We joke that like half the New York Times lives in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, Stephen Colbert uh, lives in town. His wife is our board president, Evelyn Colbert. So we're, uh, you know, there's news gatherers and TV executives, movie folks, uh, all kinds of media professionals. So it ends up being that sort of town. It's also a very diverse city, um, 40% African-American. We serve uh, a very diverse uh, audience and, and community, a lot of uh, inclusion and uh, diversity initiatives as well with our organization. So it's really um, a wonderful place. It is the home of the legendary Wellmont Theater. It is. We open our festival there every year and do multiple events there. I love the Wellmont. They're very good friends of ours. The Wellmont. And and I know that Matt will probably bring this up, but I'm going to just say it anyway. I know that uh, from working in the town of Montclair for a few years, they actually filmed The Sopranos at the Montclair High School. Isn't that right? That's right. And in fact, the last scene in the last episode of Sopranos is filmed at Holston's, which is in Montclair as well. Oh, uh, the sort of the sort of uh, cut to black scene, and not to ruin it for right. everyone. Uh, hopefully you've caught up on the Sopranos by now. <laughs> if you haven't by now. I'm outside of the spoiler zone, I think. But uh, yes, that yeah. scene was filmed at Holston's, uh, which is in Montclair as well. Um, and, you know, very famous. The, the booth is there, you, the plaque, and you can go sit in the booth uh, from the final scene of Sopranos. So yes. Oh, cool. I will tell you, I, I did go down to the film festival. I didn't get in to see any of the films, but I did soak in one of the evenings uh, several years ago, uh, just walking around and was, number one, the town of Montclair is about as cool as you can get. It's probably one of the coolest New Jersey towns there is, just in, on the coolness-o-meter. It's the co- one of the coolest. Um, but um, it was, just was buzzing with energy, and I just felt like, wow, this is what it – must feel like to be at a real film festival in Austin or somewhere else. And I just thought, how great is this? This is local, but it, I didn't know it was a charitable organization. Tell me a little bit about your organization, Tom, and your role yeah. there, your executive director, right? I am, yeah. So we aspire to be a real film festival. So thank you for taking that. <laughs> that's, one of our, that's one of our goals. Um, no, yeah. So we are we are a five hundred one c three nonprofit um, arts organization. Um, and my role there uh, as executive director, I serve a dual purpose. So uh, this is this is the tenth year of uh, Montclair Film and the Montclair Film Festival. Um, I've been here for seven years. Of the ten, uh, I replaced an executive director and an artistic director and sort of combined those roles into one role. Um, so I was heavily involved in sort of rebuilding uh, or building the organization from sort of where they had been, which was a seven day film festival and no year, you know, not much year round programming. Every year we do an event um, with, with Stephen Colbert. That's a fundraiser for the organization. We do it in Newark at NJ PAC, which is the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, sort of the Lincoln Center of New Jersey. Um, and we um, when I when I got there, they were in like astounding financial shape. Like I couldn't believe the governance and 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 management that the board had had done to after three years to uh, really create a successful, sustainable organization. Um, I had, I've been working in film and film festivals for a long time. I, I had programmed uh, film at the Nantucket Film Festival, uh, Newport, Rhode Island. I ran the Sarasota Film Festival in Sarasota, Florida for 10 years. Um, and so, uh, but I lived in Brooklyn the entire time and I was sort of 
traveling back and forth to all these different locations for work. And we, I ended up starting a family and getting married and all that stuff. And it just became sort of less sustainable. So uh, Montclair seemed like a really great fit in terms of family. And uh, But, you know, when you walk into uh, an organization and you want to make sure that it's something that's going to be there at, in year four and five and six and uh, the dedication of the board and their commitment to really being fiscally responsible um, was a really refreshing approach. Um, and it was not, you know, seven years ago was what, 2014? And I worked in Sarasota, which was a, uh, a real estate community during the 2008 financial crisis. And that was a real difficult time for nonprofits in general. A lot of uh, giving that was uh, done in that community was done through real estate developers and people who had been involved in in the real estate business. And so we had gone through some very lean times post 2008. So to come in 2014 and see this organization in great shape um, was really, again, I was just blown away by it. So we've, I've taken those principles with uh, my role and I continue to program the films and, and bring the talent to the festival. But I also got work with uh, managing the board. I work with our development team, our marketing team, our education team, and make sure that every, you know, all of our mission driven uh, programming is uh, organized, coordinated, um, managed. Uh, we work with sponsors and partners in our community to bring films that sort of speak to their mission, which I think is really the nice thing about film. It's incredibly flexible. There's a movie about everything. Like, you know, we, you can be a podiatrist and be like, I've got a, you know, I've got a, I've got, you know, this interest in showing a film about my work. And I'm like, guess what? There's a movie about that. So we can find that. We can go out and get that. You know, there's a movie, there's really, it's really a flexible format. And one of the wonderful things about that is that it allows us to work with nonprofits and other organizations who spend their days doing charitable work, um, you know, feeding the hungry, uh, working with teens, working with incarcerated people, um, fighting racism, whatever it is. And we can find films that, you know, on the day to day, they're doing, you know, program delivery for communities in need. And we're able to give them something different. We can bring in their their patrons, their sponsors, their donors, and say, let's have fun tonight. We're going to have a movie. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about your yeah. mission. Um, and your mission is going to be amplified through the power of what we do at Montclair Film, which is storytelling. Um, and I think that's a really unique and fun way to uh, create community partnerships with other nonprofits. So we do all that stuff, and that's sort of our day-to-day uh, -day, uh, throughout the year until the film festival when it's you know crazy town for a couple of months getting that ready. Wow, that's a lot. That's incredible. I I, I love the um, I love the rebranding the year round, you know, and and uh, you know those opportunities that you've created for for partnerships, right? I mean, that's really what you're kind of partnershiping with with other uh, charities. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really important to us. Um, uh, the community is filled with need and, and interesting and um, important organizations that do a lot of great work. And we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to use our space to give them space that. to amplify what they're doing. So, uh, you know, we, we have other little subtle, subtle ways of, of doing that as well. Our education program, for example, every year we have this thing called real world filmmaking where we partner with a nonprofit. And we end up making a film about them 
um, so that we can they can use that film to fundraise and amplify their mission. So our students go out and learn about an organization and they make a, docu- a short documentary film about that organization. And then that organization could take that film and then use it as a fundraising tool to go amplify their development process. So that, that's that overlays really- a couple of your uh, of your missions. I, I, I have noticed that you have a learning uh, program as part yeah. of. Can you talk about the mission of the learning pro- programs? Absolutely. So Montclair Film Education is a is a year round. We we work in quarters. It's you know seasonal: spring, summer, fall, winter. And uh, each quarter we teach classes for middle school through adult, um, mostly in visual storytelling. But we have a wide range of programs that are sort of outside of that as well. We have a podcasting studio. Uh, we do we don't, haven't done podcasting yet, but I'm excited to be on one. Um, but uh, we we do podcasting uh, classes there as well, teaching people how we allow community partners to use our podcasting studio to record their own podcast um, as well. And then we have uh, we, my favorite program is uh, was like sort of a semi podcast program where we took first generation college applicants whose parents had not gone to college, but they were going for the first time. And we taught them uh, a in a writing class, how to write a personal essay for their college application. And then we did it as a story slam. So all the kids came and presented their personal essay as like a live event story. We recorded that and created a podcast out of that for them. And then they could include that part participation on their college application as well as sort of an extracurricular program on top of the essay itself. We had a storytelling coach come in and teach them how to to do storytelling as well. So education is uh, is sort of the backbone of our year-round mission, Um, uh, although they'll be expanding soon. Um, But uh, I think it's really important. You know, we want to create an audience of the future. We want to create people who care about visual media uh, and who can be literate in visual media so that they, you know, are good citizens and can participate in the democracy and all that good stuff as well. So I think that our programs do a lot in that regard. We partner with the public schools. We're in Newark now, partnering with schools in Newark, uh, New Jersey as well. Uh, Our education director, Sue Hollenberg, is uh, tireless in her efforts to bring in kids of all backgrounds. Uh, We have scholarship programs. There's no one's ever turned away for economic need uh, from our program. So it's, uh, I'm really proud of that. We built that, we've been around, I think that part's been around for like five years now, Um, but we built that from the ground up. And uh, I really think it's an important part of what we do. That's awesome. So if somebody wanted to get involved with that, I see you have different ways of getting involved, right? So I I mean, some people may want to participate. I see you have um, on your website volunteering. What, What are the different ways that people can get involved? Yeah, like, how, do they, how should they reach out to you? I mean, you're you are you're all over. Right? You you have Facebook. You're on Twitter. You're on Flickr. You're uh you're you're all over. Yeah, YouTube. Obviously, YouTube, which is great. <laughs> exactly, YouTube. We have a good following on YouTube too, right? Our uh, our tick our TikTok is suffers, but yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I want more TikToks. Um, yeah. So if anyone wants to get involved with us, uh, volunteering is the best way. Just to feel out. Yeah. You know, the, all of the different departments from the film festival, you can be anything from like, you know, ticket taker to driving celebrities around town to, you know, helping us at parties to there's a million different jobs. We need all the help in the world. 
Um, so volunteering is a great way to get started. Taking a class is a great way to get involved okay. because it offers us some financial support. And if you can't afford one, we can make it happen for you. And it, uh, you're participating in the education program, which is great. Um, and what are if, those classes? Those classes are listed on your website, right? Yeah, I'm under the to... under the education tab at the top of the page, there's a there's a list of classes. Montclairfilm.org. Montclairfilm.org, and they rotate quarterly. So, and they're based on demand. Um, primarily, we're at the point where we wait list certain classes, and then offer them again in the following semester and try to take new students. Um, so that's a great way to get involved. Um, you know, if you're a filmmaker, we take submissions for the festivals. We look at over a thousand films uh, from people that we don't solicit from, but who send their movies to us in the hopes of playing the festival. And we uh, watch all of those movies and discuss them and program some of them in the festival. So there's uh, all kinds of different ways that you can get engaged. And, you know, come to an event, buy a ticket, don't buy a ticket, come hang out outside, um, come to a party. Anything that you want to do uh, is helpful to us because we're, we're trying to reach as many people as we can. And, um, the idea is to uh, really create dialogue. That's, to me, the most important thing. I think it's really important when we show anybody can go to a movie on a Friday night. You know, you go to the multiplex and you see a film and that's great. And you have popcorn. Maybe you see some friends and have dinner afterwards. But we try to bring artists in to talk about the work um, and to be there to engage with the audience directly so that people can have a real uh, meaningful engagement with film. I think that's really important. Uh, it's so it's so available now with Netflix and Amazon Prime and you know all these streaming services that are out there. But to get together in a theater, which you know COVID was a problem, but uh, as we as we things start to open up, getting together in a theater and having a conversation and discussion is is really really great. So uh, I think that's a, a, the backbone of what we. Do. So, Tom, uh, you were referencing COVID times, and I, mm. I uh, was very interested in, in how your organization pivoted, uh, responded to also the news of the day. It wasn't just COVID. You know, there's a lot going on in the 2020 news cycle. You, you, you take these things head on. You don't, you don't uh, shy away from current events and conversation. Can you talk a little bit about your 2020? Yeah, 2020 was crazy. So... Um, in early, you know, in March, uh, early March, like that, what is it? The, I mean, I think we all remember the date. It was like the 14th was that Friday, right? Something mm. like that. Everybody remembers the Friday in the middle of March when everyone was like, oh my God, this is real. Um, we had the, the previous Sunday, I had a call with my board of directors and I said, you know, um, I don't think we're going to be able to do the film festival in May. It had traditionally been in May. Um, it looks like this is going to be a real problem for us. We've been sort of looking at it and not feeling good about things for quite a while, but this is sort of the decision point. Um, so maybe that was March 9th. And then by Thursday, you know, March 13th or 12th or whatever that was, um, things, you know, South by Southwest had canceled. Um, everything had begun, had begun to shut down on the film side. Um, and it was obvious that it was not going to happen. So we took that opportunity to uh, reinvent how we were going to present films for that year. Um, we engaged with a virtual cinema organization uh called yeah called eventive who are really wonderful 
partners of ours. And we decided that, you know, we were going to learn how to, so we have a, uh, a customer relations management system on the back end that runs our ticketing system and all of our donation systems and all of the, this is a nonprofit podcast. We can get the leads on this stuff. So yeah. we have an, we have an integrated CRM on the back end that handles all of that stuff, uh, memberships, everything. And so that system is proprietary and does not speak to a, this other proprietary digital, uh, film system called Eventive. So we had to we had to build a custom bridge between the CRM and the and the digital system uh, with a developer um, so that our we could sell tickets to virtual films. And we learned how to do that and we did that. We had every year we uh, show free films in the summer for the community outdoors. Um, last year we decided let's try drive-in movies instead of in-person seated films. So we decided to figure out how to put on a drive-in um, which had COVID spacing for cars and could, you know, it was free and we and expensive. Uh, and we had no revenue coming in because no one was able to go to any movies or anything. So we decided this is an important part of our mission, but we want to learn how to do it. So we did that last summer as well. And those two things coalesced and we were able in October to reschedule uh, the Montclair Film Festival. So we had a ninth annual festival um, with digital screenings and drive-in screenings in October. Um, and everything that we learned over the summer, we put into practice in October. Um, and we had a great event. Um, we had conversations online. Um, Stephen Colbert talked to Aaron Sorkin. We had participation from all of our filmmakers that we wanted. We were able to open with Nomadland, which went on to win Best Picture at the Oscars last year. Um, we closed with One Night in Miami, which was a multiple Oscar nominee. We had like all these really wonderful films that had never, because when you're in May, no one is releasing their Oscar movies uh, you know, they're saving them for the fall when it's award season. So we were like, let's try October when we can have more time to build this out and learn lessons and figure it out. It ended up being like a slam dunk in terms of content. So we're like, we're never moving again. Um, I'm, I'm never going to go back to May. Like October is really our sweet spot now. So I think we're, we're going to stay there this year's a 10th annual festival. So the good news was for us, I mean, we applied for PPP loans. Like I think a lot of nonprofits did. We were given two. We retained our entire staff throughout the pandemic. We didn't have to furlough anybody or lay anybody off. That was very important to me. I come from a background where people are first, and I think that's really important. Um, so we put our resources toward paying our staff and keep them engaged and learning these lessons so that we could do the film festival and keep the organization surviving. We pivoted all of our classes online as well. I don't know how many times you guys have done this podcast. I guess I'm 16, but I'm guessing that's the 10,000th use of the word pivot. Um, <laughs> in your conversation since, we, since early we, 2020 yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so we we pivoted just like everybody else we pivoted um yeah one foot in the post and uh, we pivoted on the other foot and um we were able to do all of our online classes as well which ended up being really successful um so we're excited to get people back in person and the plan for now is in october to have an in-person film festival with some virtual offerings because we learned that our digital reach was much broader. Uh, we could reach people in California, yeah. uh, all over the world with our own programs. So we're going to keep a lot of our conversations and uh, programs online and do, I mean, we'll do them in person. We'll yeah. stream them live online and then 
um, I think, do in-person screenings as well. So it's going to be and, a And speaking of a pivot, Tom, um, you have a pretty amazing pivot, something I've never heard a, a film festival do before. You acquired a cinema. Is that right? right. Talk Perfect. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Right when, it, right when everyone's home watching Netflix and everyone's bailing out of movie theaters, we thought, let's pick one up. Uh, yeah, the industry seems to be um, changing dramatically around us. So I'm, but I do, I still believe there's value and um, that people want to go out to the movies. They want to get out of their house. They want to get off the couch. There's going to be value there. And I feel like we have built over the course of 10 years through our membership program, our volunteer program, our email lists, our social media lists, the ability to effectively market um, films to that base on a year-round basis. And it, that the theater is literally across the street from our offices. It was abandoned by its previous tenant. Um, we know the landlord and we're able to negotiate a lease with, with him. And uh, I think it's gonna be a real success story for our organization. It's the only art house theater in Essex County, New Jersey, um, traditionally speaking. So it's always shown the films that we showed at the festival. I would I would program a film festival in May and then in June walk by the theater and everything we just shown at the festival was on the marquee playing again because we had done all the word of mouth marketing for that film at the festival. And here it was now making money for somebody else. And it drove me crazy. I'm like, I want to be doing that myself. There's no reason we can't do this. Um, so I'm really excited that we're going to have a six screen cinema um, the tenant, the previous tenant left it in great shape. We've used it every year for the film festival. Physically, like I said, it's it's right across the street from our current office that we own. We were given a building several years ago by uh, Investors Bank as a donation to the festival to give us a home, which has been great. Our education center is there. We have a 65-seat cinema in that building, and our administrative offices are there as well. So I feel like we're in we're in wonderful position to make that a success. So we literally just signed the lease last Friday. Um, thank you. The construction team to do the renovations was in on Monday without a contract or a down payment. I have no idea, or insurance apparently. I have no idea why they were there. <laughs> we were freaked out. We're like, why are they working? We haven't even agreed on what we're doing, but they're in there. So uh, we've, we've started, we started, like I can legitimately say, maybe unfortunately that we've started renovations on the cinema uh, and we're excited about what the future holds it has great tradition a great reputation everyone that we work with on the film side um, knows about this theater because it is dedicated to the types of movies that we already show um, it's right on mission for us it's going to expand our audience you know exponentially on a year-round basis so i think it's going to be a huge a vehicle for growth for us so i'm very i'm hopeful but we need people to feel safe we're doing covid uh remediation in the hvac system and making sure that it's a safe clean environment for everybody to come and have a movie we're going to hopefully you know have a way to uh check for vaccination status and ask people to wear masks if not etc and just make it a, a safe place for everybody that's really the goal so very cool so, so tom cool. can we just go um and and um, talk a little bit about the pivot that you were just talking about. You, your, your organization pivoted several times. What might other 50C3 organizations learn about uh, adjusting 
to unpredictable circumstances and also taking advantage of opportunities like the like the Claridge Cinema. Right. So one of the things that I think makes us effective is that we're small. Um, I don't have 150 staff members. Uh, we are 13 people on a year-round basis that do all of the work. And we have a board that believes in us. And as over time, we've built trust with that board so that they know that we, A, know what we're doing, B, that we're fiscally responsible. We're not doing this, you know, in, in a way that's going to break the organization. Um, we plan heavily in advance for these contingencies once they become available. We don't do them immediately. So the, for example, the Claire um, was emptied out last year in March, and now it's, what, June of the next year, and that's when we signed the lease. We didn't just jump right in with both feet and take a swing. We did due diligence. We budgeted. We contacted other partner nonprofit cinemas and talked to them about their expectations and their budgets and their planning, and they were transparent with us about their forecasting and numbers, and we did a model. We did modeling and all that stuff, and our board ended up approving that. Um, but we work hand-in-hand hand with, with board leadership. Um, to make sure that we have bought complete buy-in from our uh, stakeholders uh, on our plans. And, you know, we keep going back. I, I wrote a strategic plan for our organization. Um, it's a, it was a five-year strategic plan. And the last point in that was acquire a theater um, because we knew we were sitting there looking at that theater every day, like we want this many theater. And if it becomes available, we want to be in a position to acquire this theater and it became available. We were in a position to acquire theater because we followed our strategic plan. Um, and so that was a big component for us as well as, you know, it wasn't news to anybody that this is what we wanted to do. Uh, and we had planned for it in advance. So, you know, long-term goal, um, but it, it was on, it was year five of the five-year plan and ended up being year three in reality. Um, but we were there, you know, we were there for it. Um, and we, we had accomplished a lot of what we set out to do in the strategic plan as well. So we were always looking at the mission. We're always looking at that strategic plan as well. Um, and working closely with the board of directors, um, and doing that, laying that groundwork with them constantly, I think is very important. The other thing I, I think is really great is that film in general and film exhibition, people are very, very non-competitive. It's not like we're competing with the theater in Philadelphia or Nashville, Tennessee, or Portland, Oregon. Those people want to create a, a network and an infrastructure for film across the country so that they can survive. And there's a value to collaboration and being transparent with one another. So we lean on um, other organizations out there as well in areas where we don't know what we're doing, like acquiring a theater to say, help us understand this business. Um, and we found a lot of collegiality uh, that way as well. And we have expertise on our board. Like I mentioned, it is a media town. So we do have some people who worked in film distribution uh, who were on, on our board and sort of gave us a framework. So we're lucky in that regard. Uh, and then, you know, I, I don't like to spend lavishly on anything. We don't overdo it. Um, no one's impressed by that when they, you know, you might be impressed on the night, but no one's impressed when they look at the budget. You know what I mean? And when the budget comes, when the budget comes due, um, you know, people start asking questions like, why did we have that fancy gala thing that, no, you know, it was, it was, it was a great night, but the numbers don't seem to be adding up. And it's like, that's right. We're not, so we don't have a fancy gala and we don't do that. We don't do sort of the traditional black tie donor related things that are high cost and not a lot of value. 
um, in terms of bringing in donations. We do it on a mission-driven level, and I think that ends up being more effective for us. I love that. I love that. I think so. One of the, one of the things I've heard you say several times tonight, which is which I'm I'm and, and Buddy and Nick can back me up. And if you listen to our earlier episodes as well, is the number of times you've brought up your mission, right? And and the foundation that that mission has provided with you and you, you, I see you actually, you published your strategic plan, right? Your, your, your uh, immediate medium and, and long-term plan as well. And it's, as you said, it's mission-based and, and in, even so much as the budget you talk about comes back to this, like every aspect uh, that you've brought up tonight, whether it be the educational side, the theater, budget to get what whatever it is really comes back to that mission would you mind talking to our audience a little bit about the importance of that and also if you don't mind you know since you have recently through went through a rebranding kind of what did that look like to to build that out like your thinking your thoughts how long did it take you know how much thought did you put obviously a lot but you know just kind of help our audience with that for some people who may be you know either new at this or starting up or or, or really struggling because they haven't gain that foundational mission yet that they can, like you are, so solidly reflecting on. I love that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah. So one one thing I always talk about is uh, with our with our team is, you know, we are not, I know that you mentioned earlier, a charitable organization. We are not a charity. Like this is an important thing to recognize, especially during COVID. So this is one of the great challenges of the last year is when there's so much need out there in terms of healthcare, mm-hmm. housing, hunger, how does an arts organization go forward and raise money in that environment? And, you know, we, we just constantly leaned on, um, on the mission because we felt like, our, and I mentioned our community partnership model, but we feel like we're enhancing the work that other people do uh, and giving them a platform to tell their stories. And that draws in people to support our budgeting mission, all of the focus that we do. And we reverse engineer our budget based on our mission. If it doesn't, if it, there's no category in our budget, like if you go to the, I mean, it's a pretty broad mission statement is relatively broad as it should be because you want an umbrella under which you can do a, do a lot of fun and interesting things. But, you know, if you go back to it, there's nothing really there in our budget that uh, doesn't directly speak to us and doing exactly what we set out to do that. We don't put a lot of frosting on the cake, we're making a cake. So <laughs> sometimes it needs some frosting, but we don't want to like, you know, it's, we're not making just frost. No. So um, we, we really like to trim the fat in terms of that. We also, uh, just in terms of strategies, and this is a strategy that we use and has been very effective with our board, is that we over uh, project on expenses and under project on revenues. We think things are going to be way more expensive than they end up being. And we're going to make way less money on it than we end up making. And that uh, at the end of the day uh, works out pretty well for us uh, because it gives us the discipline to stick to those numbers. We're not sticking to reality. We use historical data and then we trim it down from there because we don't know what the future is going to look like. But like, you know, we, it's really important for us to make sure that we're not over projecting and getting ourselves in economic trouble. Um, We want to deliver those programs were serious about it and we think they're meaningful. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're being fiscally conservative in that way. So that's, that's a, a good technique. If you're just starting out and doing your 
your first budget or a recent budget, look at the things you really think you have to do. Expect that they're going to cost more than you think, and you're going to make less money on them than you hope. And then at the end of the day, if you do a good job, you'll be pleasantly surprised with your bottom line and everyone's going to think you're a genius and your program killed it. And that's like, you know, been a, a mantra for our team. Um, from the beginning. So I think that's been a really uh, effective way. And then in terms of the, uh, that, that, that's my budgeting tip. Also, I don't know, we create, we have to create all these separate budget categories and we roll them up and scroll them down. And, um, but I think just be, be honest with yourself about what you're really spending money on and don't try to hide things and be transparent always. Um, we, we do audited 990s every year. Um, we go through a full audit as an organization. We have, you know, we get a five-star rating every, you know, we're, it's important to us that we're incredibly transparent because uh, we want to inspire confidence and trust from people who are donating to our organization. I think that's very, very important. So, um, yeah, I would recommend that, obviously. That seems like a no-brainer, but maybe not um, well, as well. It might not be. Yeah, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I don't know why. I just think sometimes people, I, I don't, I, I don't get wrapped up in the, um, you know, film can be glitzy and yada, yada. People, people, what they think it is versus what it really is, which is you standing backstage looking at your watch, like, when are we done with this? Um, but, <laughs> but um, you know, I don't get wrapped up in that stuff. We don't want to put a, a bunch of uh, crazy expenditure into uh, a facade. We want the actual structure of the bit of what we're doing to be supported. And so that's where we put our resources. So I'd recommend that as well. Like really focus on your, on the bones of the organization and what, what's going to keep you going and moving forward in terms of the rebrand. So we had, we had come to a point where we got this building and we were programming films year round. We had education classes, podcasting, all the stuff that I mentioned before happening. And everyone kept calling us the film festival and not knowing that we were doing these year round programs, right? They thought of us as this 10 day event and we're like, wait a minute, we really wanna get more engagement on a sponsor level, on a donor level, on a uh, audience and patron level, um, student level. And so we decided that we needed to figure it out. Now we, we ended up with Montclair Film. It was a very controversial pre Montclair Film choice that we had made for our brand, which was, uh, going to cause a conflict with another nonprofit who did not like the alternate name that we had chosen for the organization. And so we sat down board to board and had a very uh, not nice meeting uh, with them about it. And we decided to be a good citizen and act we asked to their concerns. And so uh, Montclair Film ended up actually being our second choice. It seems very simple. Um, Montclair Film Festival becomes Montclair Film. You're just chopping off uh, the festival part of it. And the festival becomes, you know, a program of Montclair Film. Um, so the logo for the Montclair Film Festival, if you can see my backdrop, you can yep. guess what it looks like. You just mm -hmm. put the word festival under the word film and drop that little uh, 10 a little bit lower. And that's what it is. So we, you know, we, the... Every year, because it was a festival, um, we would rebrand the festival. So we'd have a campaign for each festival. The eighth annual festival didn't look like the seventh annual festival, didn't look like the sixth annual festival. Uh, and the logo for the organization uh, being a festival changed every year as well. So there was no right. fixed brand, brand identity because we were an event that was trying to reinvent itself every year. 
So we decided, you know, having a fixed identity was very, very important um, to putting our stamp on the program as Montclair Film and, and putting this out in the world as well. So we went through a process with a company called Hieronymus uh, in New York City, who are really wonderful and understood our mission and understood our organization really well. And we did a whole process with them. It was not super expensive. It was actually really money well spent. Um, they became a sponsor. That's another fun trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure make sure you're not paying full freight and get those people, get your uh, partners into sponsorship mode. Um, they became wonderful. A, they are. So it ended up being really great for them, I think, and uh, great for us as well. And we have a whole, you know, brand guidelines and all that stuff for uh, each section of the fest of the organization, be it the cinema, the education program, uh, the film festival, which we still keep a campaign for the festival every year. That's unique, um, but it ends up being our logo on a art campaign versus a different logo each year that was right. recreated. So it ends up working out pretty well. But I love that process, and I'm heavily involved in the marketing. Uh, aspects of the festival, social media, mm-hmm. um, PR. That's that's very important to me that mm-hmm. we're putting our, because we have, in, in a way, we have a dual audience. We have the audience of our patrons and our donors and our sponsors, but we also have the film industry um, as an audience as well. And we're trying to please right. them and make sure that they are, their programs are, their talents handled well, their films are handled well, they're getting the benefit of participating with us. Uh, and so we try to create a steady brand that reflects that to both audiences at once. And I think they did a good job of that. So they got that right away. I love that. I love that. You know, when I work in in uh, in for profit in, in in corporate, you know, it's almost like investor relations kind of a, right. a parallel there. Is uh, yeah, very Tom, cool. One of the things that I that that obviously makes your organization different than many of the other organizations uh, that we look at is that you're year round, they're year round, but you also have a defining event. What do you learn from this? defining event which i don't know what do you describe it as 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 like a, a mile long wedding plan yeah. that lasts a week <laughs> exactly how do you describe it because it's 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 probably absolute chaos for for you you probably don't sleep and then you probably sleep for two weeks afterwards so talk yeah, about the event that's true so yes we do um we do create a film festival a 10 day 150 film over 120 filmmakers and producers come into town uh to present the movies every year um and that is a it's its own. I can see why they started. I'm, it's, you know, there are a lot of cinemas that put on film festivals and it'll be like the Alfred Hitchcock film festival. We're showing 10 Alfred Hitchcock movies. And I'm like, good for you. You're a cinema and you're showing 10 Alfred Hitchcock movies. That ain't a film festival, bro. Um, in reality, it's, it's, a. Uh, it's a it's a really heavy lift and it's very expensive and um, we we scale up massively for that event. So we go from 13 year round staff to about you know 83 uh, staff members for the run up and execution of the festival. We have a huge army of volunteers that helps us uh, execute the festival as well. Without whom we could not. Uh, carry on. It'd just be impossible to staff it uh, properly. And they're really wonderful people. And we have a volunteer benefits program for our volunteers where they get, mm-hmm. you know, tickets and swag and all kinds of stuff based on the amount that they participate as a volunteer in the festival. So that's been a really effective way, effective way to do volunteer retention. Uh, veterans get first pick of their, um, of their shifts and where they want to go, et cetera. So there's, a, there's not really seniority, but it's like, you know, we, people do what they like and we like them there and they're happy. 
Um, but yes, it's a lot of work. So we start looking, uh, we start looking at films in, in January for October. So it's about a 10 month cycle. Sundance is sort of our kickoff uh, event. We look at films at Sundance um, and then uh, we see films from other festivals. We get, like I said, a thousand submissions where people just send us their films blindly and say, I want to play my movie at Montclair. We have a committee of community members, board members, staff that watch all those films. Everything gets watched twice. We rate it and adjudicate it and have conversations about it. Um, And then we sort of select the cream of the crop from that group as well. We have a commitment to New Jersey filmmakers in the community in Montclair as well. So we have a Montclair filmmaker program, a New Jersey filmmaker program as well. Um, because we want to support artists in New Jersey uh, through the film festival. I think that's important. And, uh, you know, it's been a really a great program as part of the festival. Um, we have red carpet events, like I mentioned earlier, called the Colt Bears are involved. So we've got to uh, handle that part of it as well. My dog is biting a duck toy. I'm so sorry. If you can hear <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> um, friendly show. Yes, they're definitely show. pet friendly. You have to watch. Okay, the finally, my kid, my kids are, um, my kids are being really good. My dog, not so much. No, so we're, 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 you can watch some of our prior episodes. We are clearly okay. pet friendly. Yeah, and one of the episodes, Nick was biting a duck toy. So <laughs> it's a sneaky duck. I wish she would stop eating it, but she won't. Um, oh, anyway, it's great. She's a sweet dog. So um, it's better than barking, kind of what she was doing earlier. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a huge ramp up um, for the film festival. We rent out venues. We retrofit them as like the Wellmont, for example, which doesn't have a film, you know, it doesn't have a projector, doesn't have a screen, doesn't have a, a lot of stuff that we need for the sound system. Uh, we bring all that in We at our expense. It's not, a, it's not an inexpensive venture, travel accommodations for talent. Um, we have a team that handles that. Sponsors and donors get treatment where they get special tickets and special events for sponsors and donors. Uh, all that stuff comes into play over over ten days. So it is, it is like a. I think the wedding planning is a good example because you know everyone's a bridezilla at the Montclair Festival. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everyone's super sweet and lovely, and they uh, enjoy it. And it's uh, we want we want the event to reflect the the community. And so we we really work on making sure. We have women directors, people of color, um, international films, documentaries, fiction, bigger movies, smaller movies, uh, the whole thing. So the fun part of that is, is, you know, as a programmer, people think it must be so hard to put together 150 films. But if you start doing the math, it's really quite easy. You have 150 films, you divide it in half, half are short films, half are features. You're down to 75 features. Half of those are fiction. Half of those are nonfiction. Let's say you have 37. How many of those are going to be romantic comedies? Three or four. How many are going to be scary? Four or five. How many of them are going to be indie dramas? You know, five or six. It ends up coming together quite easily because of the categories that you want to have a diverse range. You want to make sure that you're having a mix of films that speak to the wide range of tastes in the community. So it ends up being not that difficult. Uh, the only hard part is saying now um, because I, I don't like. We have a Friday where we send out all of the no's um, to people and we get a six pack and we, you know, wait for the hate mail to come <laughs> because everybody, we hate it. Um, we hate saying no to people. I wish we could show every film that we got and give everyone a platform, but it's just physically impossible. So but we have it, to be selected. Uh, just go, go back. What is one thing that you know from running events that other 503C organizations might be able to benefit from? 
I think it's taking care of people personally and making sure that they have a great experience is the most important thing. Our development team uh, works incredibly hard to make sure that people have a, a personal touch um, at the events and uh, at all of our events from screenings. I'm so sorry about this stuff. From screenings to, um, to parties to uh, we do. So for just to give an example um, of the, of the type of things that happen at the festival that I think are, are a good example. We do, we announce the films on a Friday on Sunday, we sit down with our high level donors and do a personal walkthrough of every movie in the festival so they can decide what they want to see. We have a ticketing window just for them so that they can pick out, you know, the films that they want to see. The same goes for our next year of donors. They get a special night, we do a cocktail reception for them and talk them through the films as well. Um, when they show up on opening night, there's a reserved seat waiting for them. Um, you know, no, uh, we, we do a lot of um, what I think is, you know, making sure that people feel valued for donating and participating in the festival. The same with filmmakers. You know, we, we're not asking, you know, we give them tickets to things that they want to see and, and to their own films so they can bring friends and family. We're not trying to get rich on the uh, on the ticketing side of it. You know what I mean? It's not it's not worth it. We'd much rather have the relationship. So of that. Love yeah, that. so it's creating a great experience in the moment. Absolutely, uh, is, a big, is a big takeaway. And there's no there's no cost to us for a ticket, right? I mean, it's it could have been a seat we sold, right? But in the, in reality, the donation and the long term relationship is far more valuable than a single ticket or whatever short term revenue we might generate from, you know, cashing in on that moment. We want the moment to build the relationship. And so I think it, you have to think of it that way. I think a lot of times people get, especially on the film festival side, get wrapped up in, you know, each event paying for itself through ticketing. It's hard. To, it's sometimes a lot of people don't remember that there is an entire contributed revenue track in yeah. the organization that's like massively important to the bottom line. And so you have to balance those values out and not let one of them override the other one. You know what I mean? So you, you want ticketed revenue. You need contributed revenue. Don't put all your eggs in one basket and make sure that you have a great experience for everybody in both areas. That's right. And what I like about, I mean, and this ties into some stuff you mentioned earlier about how you run partnerships with other organizations. I mean, I feel like you're very good at relationships, you know, whether it be with your donors, whether it be with your partners, you know, so I see a lot of uh, in, in the work that you do, I see a lot of working with other groups, other people, other teams, all sorts of other things, which I think is is fantastic. It seems to be working well for you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that, again, that is a, a relationship. I'm, a, again, like I said about the PPP loans and our staff, but I am a people person. I really think people are the most important part of of what we do. And I, I would always bank on relationships over anything else. It's, it's always better to have a great relationship and a great experience than it is to like have a short-term gain that's going to burn a bridge or make people, you know, feel grossed out, like just no, or doesn't seem on mission. You know what I mean? Like I joked about a podiatrist movie, but I could make that work on, in our mission. Like if that, if that person's happy and like has an audience that really cares about that issue and wants to have a discussion in a film, what, who might stand in the way of being a facilitator for that? I think that their happiness and support is more valuable than whatever precious opinion I have about whether the podiatrist movie is the best movie ever made or, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, really matter I, to me. I would, I said it came up again. I take in a little tangent there because I mean, and I'm not a podiatrist, nor do I know or am related to any, but I have done some, some, I've seen some stuff in that area. Think about a podiatrist. It's interesting, but what you 
you don't think about is I mean, we're, we were talking about soccer before the show. Right. You know, but, you know, somebody who saves somebody's foot, saves somebody's toe isn't just doing that. They're contributing. You talk about visual storytelling, right? They're contributing to that person playing soccer with their friends, with their family for the next 20 years. Right. You know, maybe. Right. So like you could, I mean, I can see you could turn that. There is a story there, you know, it's pretty amazing that you, you, you really do. uh, It's in your mission, visual storytelling. And there's, there is a story. There's always a story. That's right. There's always a story. That's right. And, and is, Tom, you're a storyteller yourself, right? I, I believe you said you have made film. Are you a filmmaker? A little yourself? bit. Well, no, I'm not. I wouldn't call my. I've done like a couple of video projects for our friends' music tour, but I've never really. So I always say um, my answer to that question is always uh, I love film too much to impose myself upon because <laughs> I don't think I would be a very talented filmmaker, but um, I have some ideas. I have had some ideas in the past, um, but I do, I have, you know, I've been in the film world since 1997. Um, and I, and before that I was a student of film a little bit, studied international film in particular. Um, and I've watched a lot of movies, a lot. Oh, sure. You guys have, no, you do not get a figure like this by <laughs> exercising. <laughs> you have to sit around for a very long time. Well, there's uh, a thousand to, movies to screen to somebody. earn this match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah there's a lot, every right? Year. So you probably yeah, see totally. some really great stuff too. Oh yeah, no, we see both. I mean, you see a little bit of everything. Um, and it's funny because there's a there's a persistent belief among filmmakers that sort of the film festival world is rigged against that because it's very hard to to break in. You know, Sundance is the sort of American example. They look at twelve thousand five hundred movies a year, and they and a hundred get in. I mean, that's just that's less than you know one percent. It's bad. So it's very hard to to break into the business. And you know, those movies are good. They get the first crack at the apple, and they end up having really good movies that replicate on the festival circuit because they end up being really good movies. So, um, and that's frustrating for a lot of people who want to break into the industry. Um, and so they think that there's this sort of cabal of film programmers who don't want to show their work, but in fact, every film programmer wants to be the person who discovers a great movie. You know what I mean? Like if, if someone, if Citizen Kane were sitting in my submissions pile and I watched it and I was like, you guys, I just saw the greatest movie in the history of movies and no, no one's programmed it yet. We get to be the ones to world premiere. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody would want to be the person who finds that diamond in the rough. And so I always talk to filmmakers about that and say, listen, you know, we're, we're really interested in discovery. Um, that's a really big part of what we do. And there are first time and second time filmmakers in our programs every year. And we, you know, I'm looking for that great film all the time um but i can understand why it just feels the odds are so difficult now everybody has a phone can make a movie very easily on their computer it's not like it used to be where you needed a rig and a sound man and actors and a studio and all that you know billions of dollars it's become very easy and accessible to make a movie and so a lot of people fancy themselves as filmmakers and um it's very difficult there's a lot there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there so yeah Love it. Very cool. So um, with that, um, Tom, 
thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights um, and, and, of course, your time. Uh, we would love to know more about where people can uh, find your organization and how uh, they can best contribute. Are there areas where you need uh, the, more help than others? Yeah, I think if people are in, are in the community and want to volunteer, here. You can come to multiplayerfilm.org and click on the um, but the volunteer button. It's, it's, is it the dog squeaking again? Sorry. Oh, I thought that was Nick, actually. <laughs> I don't know why. No one in my family it's will Nick. stop her from squeaking the duck toy, <laughs> but they won't. They're making um, a film about it, Tom. Yeah, exactly. I'll have to watch this as a submission. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> we'll pivot to that. We'll pivot, yes, we'll pivot to ducks. Speaking yes. ducks. Um, yeah, montclairfilm.org. Um, and you can click on the volunteer button and there's a million, I mean, we just have so many opportunities, especially for the festival in October. It's been difficult during COVID, obviously, to have in-person events. And so the our volunteer opportunities have sort of dwindled, but we're coming back with in-person and uh, hopefully people will get vaccinated and we can do in-person screenings and they can join us as volunteers and we look forward to that for October. And then the other thing that we're going to be launching is the claridge.org, which is the, the cinema. We're going to have a standalone website for that part of our business as well. And that'll be in October. We'll be launching that uh, just in time for the film festival. So we can uh, launch the, the new cinema at the festival. And like I said, work is unfortunately slash fortunately underway. Love it. And uh, <laughs> where are the best places to find you on social media? We're at, at Montclair Film, at Montclair Film, at Montclair Film. That's Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> and <laughs> I think every other platform we're at Montclair Film. And then it's uh, Facebook.com slash Montclair Film as well. Um, so we, we've got all that. And I think that YouTube is, is Montclair Film Fest, right? Yeah, Montclair Film Fest on YouTube. That's right. <laughs> um, Matt, speaking of where can they find, where can they find our podcast? Well, um, they can find us on 501c3lookup.org. This is a website that Nick can tell you about because he built it. Uh, and you can also find us wherever podcasts are found and on our YouTube channel. And uh, while you've got the microphone high, Matt, where can they find you personally uh, and, uh, and engage with you? Um, best place to go is you can launch pad off of matthewbalo.com uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn where I love the um, groups on LinkedIn because, you know, there's so many focused topics and you get to, uh, you know, focus conversations with people of similar interests. And Nick, it sounded like he handed the, uh, the baton over to you. Uh, first, tell them what you will find at the 501c3lookup.org website. Sure. 501c3lookup.org has uh, over 2 million nonprofit uh, organizations listed on it. And what I do is I take the IRS data and I sort it and slice it so that people can uh, find nonprofit organizations uh, in, in almost any category. And they can find this podcast on that website. Nick, where can they find you personally? You can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore Rufa. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Nick R-U-F-A, it's Rufa. And uh, those are the best places for me. And my name is Buddy Scalera, and you can find me everywhere at Buddy Scalera, starting with my landing page, BuddyScalera.com, but also all social media at Buddy Scalera. Of course, my favorite place is Twitter, uh, but I think I'm going to be spending a little bit of time on the YouTube page for the Montclair Film Festival because it looks like there's a lot of fun stuff there. We hope you enjoyed the 501 Companion Podcast and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, show ideas, 
ideas or part of a charitable organization that wants to be on the show, visit the 501c3lookup.org website. You'll find our contact information and a complete list of our previous episodes. And of course, the extensive and free resources of the 501c3lookup.org website. Thank you for joining us on the 501 Companion Podcast. We hope you join us again next week. All right. Out.